Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
Today and you know uh, me. My name is Daniel, and I got a one. I got a hard story to tell you. That's a part of my testimony. Actually, I'm gonna do the con- the condensed version of the testimony because if I do the whole thing, you guys will be here for a while. Um, I'll start back like two years ago. It was a little bit over two years ago. Um, and uh, my mom and dad has had passed away at that time, and um, and they left me. Uh, uh, my mom left me the house uh, to live in. Well, um, I kept on having uh, God tell me, Daniel, it's time for you to move on. And uh, God also told me, Daniel, I want you to sell your house. It's like, I was like, God, you're kidding me. Because I said, I've been at this house for all my entire life. And and, uh, God kept on saying, trust me. Trust me. And he gave me that scripture that says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Well, I prayed, I prayed, and prayed again. And God still said, Daniel, I want you to sell this house. I want you to move into an apartment. Well, to make a long story short, there happened to be a handicapped apartment available in Willard. And 
And so I called the manager and I asked her, I said, can I look at that apartment? And she's like, yes. I looked at one apartment before my uh, handicap apartment and it's like uh, the first apartment I said was not suitable for me. And then she showed me this handicapped apartment and I told her, I said, this is the apartment that God wants me to have. And, and so um, to back up a little bit, again, God said, Daniel, go for it. I will handle it. I will be with you uh, dur during this time. Uh, well, I'm going to back up a little bit more because, because God's... I told God, I said, but God, I'm lonely. And God said... Daniel, trust me. But needless to say, a girl came into my life. Uh, you guys know Jeannie. Um, and unfortunately, I was engaged to her. But then... But she had a lot of medical issues. And we broke up because, because she didn't um, I didn't want to, um, she didn't want me to be tied down to her because of her physical problems and so anyway um she texted I told her that and um it's like she blamed it on me but I know that it was um people feeling stuff with her head in, in her head because she wasn't uh physically able to comprehend a lot of stuff, I think. And, and so, needless to say, we broke up. And then, then about uh, 10 or 11 months later, she passed away. And so, And so I felt so guilty because I didn't stay with her. I, I felt like I betrayed her. And I know, 
I've talked to her, uh, a friend of mine from this church, called her mom the day after she passed away. And she, and he asked her, can we bring Daniel to the funeral? And uh, her mom says, no, it would probably be best not to. Well, needless to say, I sent her, I sent some flowers to the family. And because her mom told me, told this person that it would be okay for me to send flowers to the funeral. So I sent the flowers to the funeral. And to this day, I'm still not allowed to be in contact with her mom or any of her other family. But but I come to believe that this was a a thing that God did for my protection. That's why we broke up, because he wanted to not only protect me, he wanted to protect Jeannie, because Jeannie knew she was dying. And so, but to this day, it still feels hard to deal with Jeannie not being with me, even though we're broke up. Well, I have... I have been to a counselor, and I told the counselor this, and the counselor told me, said, Daniel, the grieving probably will never stop, even though she's gone. She still wants you to remember the good times you and her had, I I was engaged to her for about three years, almost three years. Um, And and we were going to get married at this church. Um, And and it was, it was, it's still hard to think about uh, me not being married to her. But I asked God, I said, God, what am I going to do? I don't have a, a girlfriend or fiance that loves me anymore. And he, it's like he told me, he says, Daniel, trust me. He keeps on telling me to trust. A lot of times we have a hard time trying to trust him. 
But he always says, trust me. And I truly believe that God will provide uh, another person, another lady that I can love. But I still, uh, I still have a special place in my heart for Jeannie. And I know she's up there with you. And I am with God. And I know, God, that she is probably dancing up there because she doesn't have to be in that wheelchair anymore. She doesn't have to suffer anymore. And, and Jeannie, I know you're up in heaven. But, but I know that you still loved me because because I know that uh, Jeannie's mom told the guy that told my friend that called Jeannie's mom he said he said that she said or she said before Jeannie took her last breath, she said, I still love Daniel. Second Corinthians chapter 12, beginning at verse 6. I want to give you a little context in here. I'm going to take you all the way through, through uh, Second Corinthians and then explain what's going on and even talk a little bit about before this. But Paul starts this church in Corinth on one of his missionary journeys. You can read about it in the books of Acts chapter 18. He spent over a year and a half there building it, discipling people, leading people, and then he heads off and he leaves for, for Syria. Not long after that, though, he gets a report that there's some problems in the church. If you ever read the New Testament and you look at all these churches that started, there was oftentimes a lot of problems in these churches, serious problems. But he writes them a letter to address them. He writes them a letter to rebuke them, kind of discipline them. That's 1 Corinthians, okay? Many in the church, though, reject Paul's writing, reject Paul's authority. Paul actually goes there and confronts them. He calls it, he refers to it as the painful visit. And then after that, he sends them a letter and he says that this letter was filled with anguish and tears. That would have been 2 Corinthians, but we don't have it today. All right, we, we have not found that letter. Most in the church realize, though, after this, realize that they're wrong and they repent and they turn back to God and they end up apologizing to Paul. So Paul writes them this letter that we're going to be looking at, 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians has three main parts to it. The first chapters are all about reconciliation with them. Paul is, Paul is telling them that he loves them, that he forgives them, and talking about moving forward. Then chapters 8 and 9 are all about generosity, forgotten generosity. And then the rest of the chapter, though, 10 through 13, Paul addresses the people that still don't come back to his authority, still are kind of going with this other way, still kind of reject him. So why did, why did the church reject Paul in the first place? This is kind of was weird for me to think about, a church rejecting Paul. I mean, to most of us, he's Paul, right? 
missionary, went all over the world, started many churches. One of, I'd say one of the greatest Christians to ever live, to be a part of the church, right? Apostle of God, received special revelations from God, wrote a lot of the New Testament books that we have today. He's a powerhouse in, in my eyes, but you have to put yourself in their shoes. You have to understand why they didn't see that. To him, he's the underdog. This is a series about underdogs, right? From their point of view, he's poor. He earns a meager living, making tents. He's under constant persecution and suffering. I mean, there's a lot of tough things that he has to deal with. And I mean, if he was really a man of God, right? Wouldn't that not be the case? Wouldn't he have it better off? Wouldn't God be protecting him if he was really a man of God? He was often homeless. And to top it all off, he's not a great speaker. And he's a leader in the church, right? That's what they saw. That was their picture of him. Here's this guy who's very unimpressive. And he's not a good speaker. I mean, if he was called to be a preacher, called to be a leader in the church, wouldn't God pick somebody that could speak well? When the Corinthians then were exposed to some wealthy, more impressive Christian leaders that were great speakers, the the people became wowed by them. And as a result, they started to think less of Paul. They were ashamed of him. Could you imagine being ashamed of Paul? They even wanted Paul to produce some letters, some recommendations. Hey, give us your credentials, right? Show us why we should follow you, why you should be an apostle. And I find it ironic. Paul starts this church. Paul leads many of them to the faith, and yet they want him to produce credentials. And Paul simply says, you're my credentials. You're my papers. You're my justification. Paul tries to get them to see that it's not about status in life. True Christian leaders see themselves as slaves to Christ, right? Are willing to be abused, are willing to suffer if it means the gospel is preached. They're they're willing to do anything to go about that. Paul's job is not to be impressive, right? It's not about puffing him out. It's not about elevating him. It's not talking about himself. He's, his job is to point to Christ. So why would he do any of that other stuff? He just simply wants to point people to Jesus. And he goes on to say, hey, I know what you think about me, that I'm inferior to these other people. He sarcastically refers to these people as super apostles, supermen. And he admits, hey, I'm not the best speaker, but I speak the truth, right? And, and, and what do you want to hear today? Who do you listen to? The, the people that are good speakers or the people that speak the truth? Tell you the things that maybe you don't want to hear. Maybe are willing to confront you. We have a tendency to, to want to hear what we want to hear. And when people don't give us that, then eh, I'll move on. We've got to be careful. These guys are really false prophets, deceitful, masquerading as apostles of Christ. Like, he says, like Satan masquerading as an angel of light. 
Then he shifts tactics and he does something unusual. Something most of us wouldn't do in this situation. He says, if I'm going to boast, then I'm going to boast about the things that show my weakness. Because that's when Christ shines. That's when Christ gets the glory. That's when we see Christ's power. And that brings us to our main passage today. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 6 to 10. I was, I was walking this morning throughout the basement, going to the printer, and I, and I had to take it really gingerly because it was really dark and I couldn't see anything. And I flipped on the light switch, man, and I just thought, man, this just makes it so much easier. I can move so much faster. And isn't that what the Word of God is, right? A lamp unto our feet, right? Get in it. Get in it. Respect it. Read it, right? Study it. Don't wait for Sundays. If that's all you're eating, you're starving. Read it yourself. Don't just read the couple verses. You got to understand the context to understand the couple verses. Read the whole passage. Read the whole chapter. Read the whole book. Read the, your study Bibles that tell you about what 2 Corinthians is all about. Get in it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, beginning of verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I wouldn't be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than what is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness." Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, may it be a light into our path. May it direct us. Lord, speak to us through it. Open our hearts. Soften them. Lord, don't let us miss it. Holy Spirit, speak to everyone as they need to hear today. Lord, we love you. We thank you for giving us your word. It is an amazing gift. And we praise you for it. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I don't know about you, but when people put me down especially when they start comparing me to others, I look for ways to elevate myself, right? I'm going to show people that I'm better than them in these situations. I'm going to point them out to lift myself up above these other people. I think that's just kind of something naturally we do. Or otherwise, we look for ways to put that other person down and show while they're not as good as us. I want to put people in their place. That's me. That's what I like to do. I told you two weeks ago, I love when the underdog wins. I love it. There's nothing better than that, like except for when Michigan beats Ohio State. That's like the only underdog story I've not liked. But I love when the cocky team gets humbled by the team that nobody ever thought. Man, we're seeing that in March Madness right now, right? With St. Peter's. They're still in it, right? I think they are. Yeah. I love it, though. 
when the, when the, the 15th seed or, or whatever seed that is shows up the number one seed and takes them down a peg. That's what I want to see. That's what I want my response to be, but not Paul. Paul starts off by saying, hey, I could boast, and it wouldn't be boasting. I'd be telling the truth, right? I could just tell you all the things that are going on. Right before this, he talks about this amazing revelation that he had 14 years ago where he was taken up to the, the, the third heaven, and he hears things that are so astounding he can't even put them into words, right? That's something to, to brag about. I don't even know what the third heaven is, right? I, I, I asked the teens when I was a, a teen leader, hey, try and stump me, you know, ask me anything. And the very first question, I remember it, Sean to ask me, what is the third heaven? <laughs> I was like, I have no idea. You win. Good job, right? But he's like, I'm not going to boast. I'm not going to boast because I don't want people thinking more of me. I don't want to elevate myself. I don't want people trusting in me, the apostle, when they should be trusting in Jesus Christ, their Lord. Right? Never elevate a pastor. Never put a, a spiritual mentor in the place that only God should be in. Right? Never mistakenly do that. Most of us want to be elevated, especially if we're being compared with somebody else. But, but Paul was willing to humble himself. He was willing to point to his weaknesses so that Christ would be elevated, so that Christ would get the glory. Oh, and let that be us, right? I love that. I don't know if, all, I don't know if Paul was always this way, though, right? Prior to his conversion, he was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He had a lot he could brag about. He had the Old Testament memorized. I don't know how you're doing on that, but he had the complete Old Testament memorized. And he studied under one of the most famous Pharisees, Gamaliel. That was the Pharisees mentioned in Acts when the apostles were brought before him. Do you remember that story? The the apostles are brought before him, and, and the group of Pharisees say, hey, quit preaching Jesus Christ, right? And Peter responds, Uh, Am I going to do what God wants to do or what man wants to do? I'm going to do what God wants to do. And this Pharisee, he says something pretty wise. He said, hey, let him go. Because they wanted to kill him, all them after that. He says, hey, let him go. Listen, if this is from man, it's going to die out. If it's from God, though, we're not going to be able to stop it. So that's the wisdom that this person had. They, They said that when Gamaliel died, the honor of the Torah ceased. That's how favorably he was looked on and Paul was his disciple. On top of that, all Paul's given his entire life to Jesus Christ. Lock, stock, and barrel. Every part of it, right? He sacrificed everything for the ministry. He walked away from that Pharisee life, that life of notoriety, that, that life of wealth. He walked away from it. And he, and he, in our eyes, probably had a reason, a good excuse to puff himself up right? It's Paul. We got to be careful because sometimes that's what comes natural in our relationships, right? When we don't feel appreciated, sometimes our first go is to, to let people know, hey, how much I've sacrificed, what I've done for you in order to, to, to puff myself up. This is, this is all I've done for you. I should get some credit for that. I should get some praise for that. Paul gives us a pretty good list in chapter 11, 
He says he's been in prison, flogged, exposed to death again and again. Five times he received the 40 lashes, minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned and left for dead. He had been shipwrecked. He had spent a night in the open sea. He was homeless. He's been in danger from bandits, Jews, and Gentiles. He's labored long and hard, often went without sleep. He said he knew what hunger was. He knew what it was like to to be hungry. He knew what it was like to be cold and naked. And on top of all of that, he had the weight of every church that he ever started on his shoulders. The concern for them. When we do things in the church, outside the church, we want to be recognized. Fight that urge, right? Don't bring glory to yourself. Don't bring glory to what you're doing. Bring glory to the one who called you to do it. Bring glory to the one who enabled you to do it, gave you the power to do it, gave you the means to do it, right? Don't puff yourself up. I don't know if Paul was always that way, right? But I love his humility here. I think he struggled with it, though. I know he struggled with it because he was given a thorn to keep himself humble. And this is the part that I really love because it it opens a very private window up into his life, into this man of God. A window that shows us that he has this thorn, this embarrassing thorn sticking in him. Most people want to hide their thorns. Most people want to hide their weaknesses. Most people learn how to cover them up, right? They fake it until they make it, but not Paul. He shares it. Verse 7, Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Like I said, most people, most leaders, only show their strengths. They hide their weaknesses, only show power. But we need more people like Paul, more people that are, are willing to show us, more people that we can see that great power in, right? but they show us the struggles that they deal with at the same time so that we can realize it's not because they're great. It's because God is working through them. It's God's power. I don't want my kids ever to think I don't struggle. I don't want them to think that I don't struggle, right? I don't want to hide that from them. I want them to know that that's normal. You're going to struggle in life. I just want to give them the example that they can get past their struggles through the power of Christ. Right? I want them to know that it's in our weaknesses that God shines. We've got a lot of helicopter parents that want to protect our kids from everything. When they get in trouble, when a teacher calls them out or does something, the parents want to sweep in and, and, and help them out of that jam. Let them go through it. Right? Let them go through it. Show them who they can turn to. Hey, you can turn to me. I know my kids, I tell them, hey, you can turn to me, right? But you can turn to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Everybody's going to try to keep your, teach your kids. Everybody has an opinion. We live in a day and age where 12-year-olds are life coaches making millions of dollars. It's crazy. And that's what's being put out there, though. And they're pretending. They're pretending that they don't struggle. They're pretending that they can get by on their own power. 
that they can make it on their own. No, I'm not putting that out there, right? I'm going to show my kids it's natural to struggle, and sometimes you just can't fix it, every situation. Sometimes you just have to have the grace to get through it. But that's what God gives us. Man, that's an un-American concept, right? You mean there are things I might have to continue to struggle with? Maybe not even un-American, that's unchristian. If you just have enough faith, you shouldn't have to struggle, right? That's, that's sometimes what's preached in churches. Sometimes it's preached, man, if you just come to Christ, everything's going to be roses. And then life hits you, punches you square in the face, right? Jesus never said that. Jesus said, hey, you're, you're, the world's going to hate you. The world's going to come against you, right? But I've overcome the world. I don't know. Paul had faith. Paul had faith, right? If anybody had faith, Paul, and yet he still struggled with this thorn, and God wouldn't take it away from him. And in fact, he said it was a thorn that was given to me. Here's an apostle of God that has a struggle. Thank you, Paul, for being vulnerable and showing us, right, that it's okay showing us that we don't have to pretend, we don't have to put on the false face and pretend like we've got it all together, that everything is just great, right? When we fake it, we get the glory. When we are vulnerable, he gets the glory. Why are you pretending that you got it all together? Why do you feel that need to put on the mask? Why are you pretending that you don't struggle? Why not instead talk about God's grace with that struggle that you have? Right? Why not point to that when we realize how weak we are? That starts everything. Right? That's when we depend on Him, and that's when His power is on us, and we can get through those things. What was Paul's thorn? Everybody wants to know. Everybody's got a a million theories. I'm going to give you four of them. It's a metaphor, right? It's just a metaphor. Some people say that Paul had epileptic seizures. They trace this back when he was blinded and knocked off his horse on the way to Damascus when he was going to persecute the Christians, that he just never quite recovered from that. And that was his thorn. Other people would say that it was something with Paul's eyesight. When he wrote to the church in Galatia, he talked about how large his letters were because he wrote it with his own hand. He wrote it with his own pen. And he even mentioned that the Galatians would gladly give them their eyes give them their own eyes to him if necessary. Some say it was from that blinding, that he just never fully recovered from that and got his sight back. Other people don't associate with blindness or seizures at all or a medical condition. Luther and Calvin both, they identified it as some kind of spiritual temptation. And there's a little bit of support for that scripturally because in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he mentions that I inwardly burn. There was something, some kind of struggle inside of him. Some people think that Paul's thorn was opponents, Judaizers, or these super apostles. Believe it or not, I don't know if you know this, but people can be thorns, right, in your life. I don't know what's right, and I don't know what's wrong, and I'm kind of glad, right? The thorn is a metaphor, and because it's a metaphor, it can speak to more people, wherever they're at. 
It's a good thing that we don't know what Paul's thorn was. Then we'd, we'd probably say if it was something small, well, Paul wasn't dealing with, that, with what I have to deal with, right? He doesn't know what, what I'm going through. Or if it was something that was really big, maybe we'd be tempted to say, Paul struggled with that. He must not have been a man of God. I'm glad we don't know, right? Because I can apply this to my life. I don't think this, this thorn was a small thing either because it tormented him. That's what he says. Three times he prayed for it to be taken away. Three times, Scripture says, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. You ever beg God to take something away? I have. An addiction? Feelings that you have? Right? Please, Lord. The, the very first thing that we should learn from this, though, is that if we do have those sorts of things, those thorns in our lives, we can't take them to Christ. We can't ask God to take him away. That's what Paul did. If that wasn't possible, he wouldn't have prayed those prayers. So first thing that you want to take away from this is you can take those things to God. He wouldn't have prayed it if he couldn't. So pray and continue to pray and continue to ask. Plead with God. Plead with God for your husband that doesn't know Christ. Plead with God for for him to soften somebody's heart. Plead with God for him to soften your heart, to take away your anger problem that you continually have to deal with. Plead with God to take away whatever addiction that you are dealing with. Don't stop that. I don't think it was Paul just prayed three times, either like, Lord, would you take this away? Lord, please take this away. Lord, would you just please take away. I think this was three different seasons of his life where he prayed these things and asked God to do this. My, my kids have launched at least three separate campaigns. Adobe can testify to this. Three separate campaigns against me and my wife to get an animal. <laughs> please let us have a dog. Please let us have a cat. They did that for the first season and all they heard was no. Right, But they came back in the next season, that next time period. Please let us have a plat. Let us have a pet. Right? Please, mom and dad, here's all the reasons why you should let us have this. And the answer was no. Right? Kids came back for a third season. Dad started to crack a little bit. Mom stayed strong with that. But then one day, a bunch of cats showed up in our woodpile living there. A mom cat with six or seven babies. And the season of pleading started up again. Please, mom, let us keep these cats. Luckily, the mom left, took her kittens with, but then we discovered she left one behind. And so now the kids have a cat. What have you stopped pleading for? Right, seriously, what, what did you used to pray for that you quit, that you gave up on? I, I was reminded just last Sunday because we, we, we ran into somebody that we hadn't seen in a while, right? And I remember my prayers for this person, and I'd stopped pleading for this person. I was reminded to keep going with that. What have you stopped pleading for Who have you stopped interceding for? Would you renew that today? Please. Maybe it's your own addiction. Maybe you think, I'm just going to deal with this the rest of my life. It might be a thorn that you have to deal with the rest of your life. But don't stop pleading to God. Don't stop turning to Him, going to Him over this. Right? 
Keep pleading for those people, those thorns in your life. But also recognize this. Sometimes he doesn't remove the thorns. Sometimes he doesn't remove them just because we want him to. Because we beg him to do it. God does amazing things. He's all-powerful. You read the Bible, you hear story after story about that. He takes down a giant with a stone, right, with a little shepherd boy. Why wouldn't he remove a little thorn then? Why would a God who said, hey, if you have a, the, the faith the size of a mustard seed, if you had that, you could move a mountain, or a mountain would be moved, I should say. Why would God leave something as small as a thorn in the life of someone so important? like Paul. Why? Why would God allow you season after season to pray about something but still be tormented? I guarantee you when that thorn came into Paul's life, he was like, "Uh uh-uh, send it back, right? I don't want this. I guarantee you he thought this was something, hey, this is going to hamper my ministry. I'm going to be less effective ministry-wise with this thorn in my place. Couldn't I be more effective, Lord, if you took it away? Doesn't it make sense, Lord? More sense if you take it away. I can give you praises for taking away that thorn. I can tell everybody about it, right? Do you have a thorn that if God were to take it away, you think you could do more? Do you have a thorn that if God would take away that you could serve better or bigger? Therefore, in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger, messenger, Greek word for angel. I was given an angel of Satan to torment me. Notice he says a thorn was given to me. He didn't ask for it. What do you do with the thorn that you didn't ask for? An angel of Satan to torment me. Why? To understand the why, it starts off with that, that first word in that sentence, therefore. Anytime you see that word, therefore, you have to see what it's there for. What was the thorn there for? Well, in order to keep me from being conceited. That's why you had this thorn. God knows what you're prone to. God knows what you're prone to and where that will take you. Where would pride have taken Paul in the ministry? It would have destroyed the ministry, right? God knew that Paul was prone to pride. He had a lot of good reasons that we talked about, that he could be prideful. So God gives him a thorn, though, to keep him from going on that path, a thorn to keep him humble. Dependent on God so that God's power could rest on him. A thorn might be just the exact thing that you need to put you in a position to be on your knees before the King of Kings and before the Lord of Lords. Right? What if a thorn kept you humble and at his feet every day? Could it be a good thing? What if a thorn kept you dependent on his strength instead of your own. Where would that take your ministry that you're involved in? What if your kids saw how much you relied on God in the struggles that you had? What if your kids saw the power of God resting on you? What if your kids saw the grace 
of God resting on you. When your weakness is exposed, you, you can come to a place where you torment yourself, right? Been there? I hate me. I've done some stupid things in life. Hate that I do this. I should be further along in my faith. Look at how far this person is compared to me. I should be where where they're at. I should have a a victory over this. We, We can torment ourselves. But maybe it's what you need in order to get you to the feet of Christ every day to declare your dependence on him. Maybe it even can do something more, something better. Something better than that? Yeah, maybe it can teach you about grace. Maybe it can remind you of just how dependent you are on the grace of God. Maybe you'll realize that without the grace of God, you're doomed, just like me. The closer I grow to God, the more I realize how dependent I am on his grace. The more I understand grace, the more I realize that grace isn't something that just saves you. It's something that sustains you every day. Maybe a thorn will change how you see people. Maybe you'll see people with their thorns, right? And you'll know what the grace of God did for you, so you'll be encouraged to share the grace of God with them. Maybe people will see your thorn. Maybe people will say, hey, you're not perfect. And maybe they'll be more willing to approach you because you got the same thorn as them. But they see that your thorn leads to grace. Your thorn leads to God's power. Their thorn isn't leading them in that direction, but maybe they'll see where it leads you and they'll come and ask you about it. Therefore, I was given a thorn. It came as an instrument of Satan, but God used it as a vessel of grace. You know what I learned in this study? Isn't that Paul's story? Right? Isn't that Paul's story? He was a tool used by Satan to attack the church, and God transformed him into a vessel of his grace. Right? A vessel for the gospel. I hope this morning that in a a big sense this gives you your therefore. What that thorn maybe that you're dealing is there for. Why it's in your life. Is it to make you so small? To humble you? To keep you in God's presence? so that you completely depend on him? Is it to show others what God can do? Is it to show that God can use people that are weak? Man, Daniel, I love seeing the way God uses you, right? Other people may discount you, but not God, right? Is it to show that God's power can come even when we're weak, especially when we're weak? Amen, it is, right? It's to remind us his grace, and to encourage me to share God's grace. Were you given a thorn and God hasn't taken it away? I pray that he shows you 
what it's there for. The reason behind it. That's a great prayer to pray. Lord, I've accepted it. Will you just give me a little insight, though, to what it's there for? Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That thorn led to Christ's power being all over Paul, resting on Paul, Right? And that's why he can go on to say, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties, right? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen? What stuff is coming at you today? Or maybe not just today. In the season. Praise God, because it can be something that brings you to his feet. Praise God, and make it something that makes you dependent on him. I know Paul didn't want the thorn at first, but he realizes what God's doing through it. And now he's able to delight in weakness. Would you stand with me? I've seen struggle. I know what it's like to struggle. I've seen people struggle in their lives, and I've seen people pray and ask God to take that thing away, to take that addiction away, to take that thorn away, right? And sometimes he doesn't. Here's what I can testify to, though, is that if you will go to him, if you will humble yourself, He'll give you the grace proportional to that thorn. He'll help you to keep moving forward even though you've got that thorn sticking inside of you. I can testify that his grace is sufficient. Take your thorn to the throne, right? Ask God to take it away. Plead with him. But if he doesn't, Ask him to realize what it's there for. And trust him no matter what. Daniel, right? Trust God. I think that was your testimony. No matter what. Even when you don't see what he's doing, right? Even when you don't see it, trust him. Ask him to reveal it to you. Ask him to give you the grace that's sufficient to keep moving forward, to keep serving him, to keep pointing other people to him. Allow it to make you meek. Allow it to make you gentle so that you deal with people differently, so that you don't look down on any more people that are struggling with other things, right? But instead, you go up to them and you tell them about the grace that's available to them that you experience that helps you get by with your thorn. Amen? I know you got thorns, right? Talk to somebody about them. Don't be afraid to share them. 
Find that good Christian brother or sister. Come talk to me. Come talk to somebody else, right? I ain't going to think anything of you because I got my thorn. I know, right? Would you pray with me? Father, I just, I just thank you. I thank you for Paul's testimony. I thank you for a, a person in the Bible that, that we put on a high pedestal. person that we think if, if you would do something for her, it would have been Paul. But you did exactly what he needed. Exactly what would allow him to serve you in the best capacity, Lord. Father, I pray that we would see our thorns in the same light. Lord, I pray that you'd take away these addictions, Lord, or give us the grace to live with them. Help us to live in a place of surrender, complete surrender with all of our lives, Lord, as a living sacrifice at your feet. And Father, may your power rest on us so that we not can be elevated, but instead so that we can point people to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who changed our lives, the one who flipped them upside down, the one who no longer sees us as an adversary, but instead as a child. Help us to point to you with everything that we do. Lord, give us an opportunity this very week, Lord, to lead somebody to your grace. Father, we love you and we give you all praise. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you.